hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast. I am your host, Edwin Adams, and 40 episodes later in almost six months, I'm bringing back Brandon Burns. If you heard episode two, you know Brandon Burns is a former collegiate gymnast, uh, professional coach, a business consultant. I'm bringing him back because over the past six months, he's made an incredible transformation himself. I met Brandon uh, for episode two as we discussed peak performance habits and how to develop those. Well, over the past six months, Brandon has become a coach and business business development specialist with Eric Thomas and Associates, and he continues to grow his side hustle business, the Adamas Group. So I'm excited to bring Brandon back to talk about everything that's happened in his transformation over the past six months from from a college graduate to now a full-time entrepreneur. So let's get on with the show with Brandon Burns. Brandon Burns, welcome back to the show, man. Thank you, man. Glad to be back. It's funny. Normally when uh, people allow me to talk for a long time, they never let me back. They never asked me to do it again. So having me back, that's, uh, that's awesome. Very grateful to be here. So, Brandon, you were here, uh, I guess it's almost six months ago in 40 episodes on the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast. So now you're at episode, I think this will eventually be episode 42. So I'm just glad to have you back because we talked transformations, we talked peak performance, we talked a lot of stuff on the first episode. So if, if listeners haven't heard episode two from season one, go back and start the transformation story there. But Brandon's done a lot over the past six months. So there was no question you had to come back, Brandon, because I've, I've been watching you and uh, clearly, you know, my mantra has always been, well, I stole it from my mentor, John Maxwell, but he says, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And you, sir, over the past six months have been doing nothing but expanding your influence. And that's a great great transformation story to me. So why don't you catch us up on what you are doing and how you came to be on the show today, man? Yeah, man, a lot has happened since uh, when we last spoke, you know, I was just talking to you pre-recording and I mentioned that six months ago feels like it was at least a year and a half ago with, with how quickly everything has been moving in my life. Um, so it's, it's been really fun. You know, of course I graduated college, uh, at the end of 2020, so mid-pandemic, uh, graduating was definitely an experience. Um, so that's one one big event of my life. And then I started working with uh, Eric Thomas and Associates with ET, number one motivational speaker in the world. So jumped on to to his brand, his company, uh, to help him out as my my first out of college uh, career move. So very very excited and happy about that. And of course, I've still been working on my own stuff uh, with Adamas, you know, starting a podcast here pretty soon. Um, and a lot of things going on in the background there. So I've been busy. It's, it's funny because I think that quarantine has actually been the single busiest time in my life when a lot of people thought the opposite. Um, but I really enjoyed it. You know, I really enjoyed it. And it's been a, a fun six months. And I'm really excited for 2021. That's for sure. Incredible. So, so clearly with Eric Thomas and Associates, you have grown into a role. Now, can you, can you give me the context if your role there as a business development specialist and coach, was that pre-existing or have you created that role? 
My role, I wear a lot of hats. I wear a lot of hats. And ETA is is a really fun place for me to work at as somebody who's interested in leadership development and coaching and in business and entrepreneurship because ETA is a huge brand, but the company itself is relatively small. So a lot of us, we, we move kind of like a startup. Everybody's involved in everything to some extent. Um, and I personally love that because it gives me the hands-on experience of I'm kind of an entrepreneur, but it's like, it's an intrapreneur, right? I'm, I'm under somebody working in their business, but I'm still behaving in that way. So personally, I absolutely love it. But to answer your question, um, I do a lot of coaching. We have a program called Extreme Teachers where we're leveraging the DISC assessment uh, and, and teaching teachers how to use that in their classrooms to better communicate with students. So I'm hands-on coaching there, doing calls, uh, certifications, things like that. And then on the other end of the company, Extreme Execution, that's a lot more business development, um, thing, things along, along those lines. So clearly, previously being a coach of um, high-performance athletes, what has been the biggest learning curve for you in transitioning from the student-athlete environment into now professional business coaching? Yeah, I would say the methodology is the same. It's the information that changes. So the skill set, if you can coach somebody, if you can communicate with somebody in a way where you can break down the process that they're trying to learn in a linear systematic fashion and then teach it to them uh, and then know how to support them along the way and be there for them in that process, then it doesn't really matter what you're coaching. So that part is pretty evergreen. So that was the skill set that I took from the athletic world and brought it into, into this. Really, the biggest change for me was one, some of the information. Um, I was exposed to a lot of entrepreneurship and business throughout school and college, but it's different when you see it up close and in person, right? Um, so that was a big change, just learning all the information and the nuances of, of the business world. And the other thing is really believing that I am supposed to be there and I have the authority to teach on things like that. Of course, a little bit of uh, imposter syndrome, I think, creeps up, uh, particularly since I'm fresh out of school uh, and, and younger for this type of world. But I will say that being around people who are immersed in it every single day, being around people who are building successful businesses, who are making you know those, those high income figures and, and have that influence over a lot of people, being in close proximity to that it helps that a ton. I mean, there's no course you can take that can give you that type of belief of just being around the people that are doing it and feeling it and getting that influence. So that, that's been the biggest change, I would say, from the athletic world because in athletics, that was built in because that I was that guy that I was coaching. So it was already there. I had to kind of attain that in the business world, but I would say it's going great. Well, Brandon, thank you for bringing that up. That seems to be a consistent theme over the past few episodes. I keep hearing the word environment um, in, in some shape, form, or fashion that people either create or find the environments conducive to growth. And, and clearly you, you did as a student athlete, but you've also done it now in, in the professional world. I, I would say you found Eric Thomas and, and that's a phenomenal environment for growth that provides the, the nourishment, the community, the, the supplementation necessary to, to be successful. What have you learned? I, I, I guess I'm curious about the creation of your own environments where you stand. You've been exposed 
to several uh, of other people's environments. How has that impacted you in creating your environment for, for high performance, for growth, for entrepreneurship? It's kind of a two-way question in a way, because other people's environments are your environments if you make it that way, right? So with ET, I saw somebody who, you know, I think we, we tend to greatly undervalue working for someone that you truly respect. Um, I think we're in a very get-rich-quick type of society right now. So for me to find somebody that I respected, I liked what they were doing in the world. I thought they were doing it the right way, so to speak. That was really important to me. And he could afford me the opportunities that I wanted from a business perspective. So that was really important to me. And so I literally chased him down. I mean, literally the story of me getting that job was he was speaking at Michigan State University. Um, and this was just before COVID really hit the United States. This was early March, late February, somewhere in there, 2020. And he was doing his presentation. The success series is a free series that he does at Michigan State every Monday night. And, um, so I drove there every Monday from Ann Arbor and drove about an hour to go go see him each way. And towards the end of his presentation, he started wrapping it up and I was ready for this because I knew I was going to graduate soon. So I prepared a resume, not a resume is, uh, is downgrading a little bit. It was a resume. It was 60 pages worth of writing and coaching programs that I had written. It was my disc assessment because I knew he was really into that stuff. So I prepared for him had it in this nice little binder and everything. And I was going to go up and talk to him because he knew me a little bit at that point. And uh, I was going to go talk to him afterwards because he usually does a little meet and greet and give him that stuff and then kind of shoot my shot basically. And he starts wrapping up his presentation and he goes, you know, coronavirus, the stuff is uh, starting to pop up, getting a little concerned about it. So unfortunately I'm not going to be able to stay and shake hands and, and talk to everybody like I normally can. And so he goes out the back door of uh of the arena and if bill belichick had been in the room that day i wouldn't be talking to you right now because i'd be in the league i got up and i ran so fast uh out the other door and i'm a little crazy so i knew where he parked his car and i, I met him out there and literally chased the guy down in the parking lot to give him my my folder of stuff that i prepared for him so that's a long a long story but the point is you create your environment by making it happen. Right. So I knew that was the environment that I wanted. And so I knew I wanted to be plugged into that energy. And so I made it happen. And of course, E played a huge part in that he gave me the chance. Um, so it wasn't all me by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm, I put myself in a position for that environment to come to me by going out there and, and requesting it, so to speak. And from there, once you get plugged into something like that, then it becomes so much easier to do it yourself. Because if you are just starting out and you don't necessarily have a network of people who are into what you're into, who are into trying to develop themselves and grow and build a business or whatever it might be, uh, you're going to have a really hard time creating it yourself. So my best advice would be go get plugged in to somebody who's already got most of what you want and use that influence, get that energy, Get around those people who are more successful than you, better than you, who are doing the things that you want to do, who can show you the way. And then that support system is automatically in place and you'll be able to build whatever environment you want, but you got to go get it. So do you think people think of their environments too broadly uh, to be all encompassing, for, to take care of everybody instead of the, the, 
for lack of a better term, the niche environments that are that are food for the soul. Uh, does that make any sense? Because I, I feel like even in the creation of a product or a service, we're trying we're trying when we start out to serve everybody because we need traffic, we need attention, we need people to pay attention. So what we have is for everyone. Uh, is there a strategy in, in, in environment building? And I guess we'll get into to, to product identification and who we serve in just a minute. But are, are, can environments be too big, maybe, is the question that you need to find a better environment? I think environments can become too big if you think about only having one environment. So for example, if I need, if I had a goal of losing 20 pounds in 2021, my environment in ETA, while there is a ton of motivation and support there, might not necessarily be the best place for me to surround myself with, with that in order to reach that specific goal, right? There are fitness specific communities um, fitness specific influences that I could be intaking that would maybe better support me in that particular process. So I'm going to match my goal or my desired end state with the environment that I'm going to put myself in. Now, where people sometimes mess up is they think that they need one environment for their entire lives. And that's not true, right? Because we have a family environment. There's that support system. We have a, a career and a business environment. There's that. We have a, a hobby or a fun support system or we have a uh, different these different groups that we interact with, right? And I think it's more important to learn how to compartmentalize uh, your different environments and use them for their for what they're supposed to be used for, right? You're not going to go to a fitness environment to learn how to build a business. You're not going to go to a business environment to learn how to lose 20 pounds. So you get plugged into what you need and then you go into that when you need that, when you need that energy source. And then um, you, you just keep them separated. But if you're trying to create one environment where everything is taken care of by all the same people all the time, I think that's when it can get too broad and, and it can get a little bit difficult. Yeah, that sounds like a clarity problem. And I know we talked a little bit about clarity on the first episode because it's it's hard to be a peak performer when you don't have clarity on what the outcome is that, that you desire. So help, help me real quick remember um, a process to get really clear on what it is you, you desire so that then you're not choosing one environment for all of your needs and, and be disappointed. You know, you kind of know what tribe you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of writing it all out, you know, write it out, make it plain. Um, I think the five whys exercise is really good. So asking yourself, okay, well, what do I want? And then ask yourself, why do I want that? Why do I want that? Why do I want that? And just go until you can't really go anymore. You want to hit something that's firm. You want to hit bedrock when you do that sort of exercise. Um, if you just say, I want to make a million dollars this year, you got to ask yourself why? Because a million dollars is a very intangible, it means nothing. That's a million dollars is something that in our economic society, we constructed to mean something. So you got to figure out what do you actually mean when you say that you want a million dollars? Do you want the freedom? Do you want the status? Do you want what it can buy? What do you, do you want your time back? Like, what do you want? And that's going to really help you get clarity on who you need and what type of environment you need, because what you think you want on the surface level, if you go to that environment, you might be in the completely wrong place 
as opposed to if you, if you had taken the time to really think about what you truly need or what's that deeper layer. So, you know, the, the five whys exercise, I always call it the five whys because you should ask why at least five times to get to something relatively solid. Um, that's one that I love, but regardless of how you do it, writing it down and making it plain is the best way to get that clarity for me. Yeah, I appreciate that so much because I, be, I believe if you're honestly answering those questions, why, um, the answer might be something different than you thought. Do, do you run into that when you're coaching or consulting that that what they thought they wanted, which was driving some of their their more recent behaviors, was actually not the answer to what they desire? Almost every time, <laughs> all the time, all the time, right? Because for the same reason, people don't necessarily, it's not instinctual to think that deeply about something, right? But if you don't do that, then you might end up going down, like we said earlier, the wrong path. So I think it's very, very common that people don't necessarily have full clarity, but they think that they do. And that's the biggest problem that we come across is the reason as coaches that we have to ask questions right? Coaching is, is like 5% telling people what to do. And it's 95% figuring out what do I even need to tell them in the first place? Because I have to ask the right questions to make sure that we get to the right spot, that we actually know what we're dealing with, that we know here's point A, this is where we're starting. Here's point B, this is where we're trying to get to. Defining that is the hardest part. Drawing the line between A and B, anybody can do that, right? So going through that exercise, I think is vitally important because like we just talked about, it happens more than you might think. So now that you're in the coaching space, um, I, I'm curious, you've, you've picked up on the, the DISC behavioral analysis methodology. And I know we've had some offline conversations about DISC. Tell me about your onboarding into that philosophy of understanding. And tell me what some of your biggest takeaways are from, you know, looking at your own disc behavioral analysis and then helping others become self-aware of their own. Yeah, man, it's been a game changer. It, uh, it really has been a game changer. And it's funny because I am a classic skeptic turned believer story with that. Um, you know, in, in college, I studied economics and psychology. That was my double major. And so as a psych major, um, I, I went into it a little bit skeptical. I'm like, you know, why have I never heard about this thing in, in classes? Um, why are we not digging into this more? I'm very much a scientific evidence-based type of person. Um, so even though I am in that personal development space, I try not to live too far outside of what can I quantify? What can I prove? What can I tangibly work with? Um, and so DISC kind of threw me for a loop on that one. I was first introduced to it uh, as an athlete. At the University of Michigan, we were all required to take it every single year by our leadership develop, uh, development program uh, within UMich Athletics. And I took it for the first time as a freshman thinking, yeah, whatever. And I got the results. And when I was reading through that page where it just describes you, I was pretty, I was pretty amazed. I was pretty amazed because it certainly defined my behavior better than I could at the time. That's for sure. It was more aware of me than I was aware of me back then. And so it was... It was a little bit shocking to see it, um, but I still thought it was kind of corny up until I really started diving into it with ETA. And, you know, what I realized is that it's just useful. It's, it's useful. And we can talk all day about, you know, the, the big five psychometric models and how that is a better 
uh, quantitative measurement of personality and this and that. And there's a lot of truth behind a lot of that. However, you know, one thing that really shifted my perspective was one disc is a behavior assessment, not a personality test that took me out of the realm because all of my objections were about the, the hardcore psych world. And that took me out of that. It's like, okay, we're not dealing with personality psychology anymore. We're dealing with behavior style. So that was a big perspective shift that really helped me embrace it and accept it. And like I said, it just works. And I think that regardless of something's theoretical, fundamental uh, backing, so to speak, if it works, it works. And if the results are, are positive, then it, it deserves a lot of attention. And I think what it does is it, it serves as a conceptual wrapper for a lot of people, meaning it takes things that we don't really think about or know how to talk about or discuss or understand. And it wraps it up in this nice little box with a bow. And it says, this is what we're talking about. Here's how we can communicate about these things. And that's unbelievably useful. And I've used it with myself. I've used it with clients. I mean, I was just on a call the other day where somebody explained when my, uh, and not to get too deep into the disc talk, but they were explaining that because my S style is very high and then it drops in my adaptive and my C stays back exactly the same, that causes a lot of stress because my quality, I'm, I'm still focused on quality the same amount, but I'm moving faster. And it blew my mind because I was like, yes, that's me. I prioritize everything all at the same time. And I think I can do it all perfectly and still move at a million miles a minute. Um, so it, it really reveals some stuff, man. And I think that there's a lot behind the idea that self-awareness is really the key to unlocking a lot of other things because I can teach you the best practices and I can coach you on everything that I've learned and I can give you the best strategies that I've come across. But if you're not self-aware enough to know that you need it, if you're not self-aware enough to know how to implement it for you, not for me, because we might be different, it, uh, it's going to fall on deaf ears. So yeah, man, disc is, uh, it's been a game changer for me as well as everybody that I've worked with. And I would definitely encourage anybody that hasn't taken it yet to take it. Even if you just get a free online version, get the information. Um, and especially if you have some of the objections, like I had, give it a shot and open up to it and see if it's useful, see if it works. And then maybe like, like my experience was seeing will become believing for you as well. Well, Brandon, clearly behaviors are the one thing that that I would say 99% of people are trying to change. I mean, just look, we, we've just turned the new year and a lot of people are radically changing behaviors in order to get a desired outcome. But just because you change actions does not necessarily mean that you've changed a behavior, right? Because thoughts drive behaviors, behaviors drive outcomes, and the outcomes, either positive or negative, reinforce the belief that that started this anyway. So you might be blindly unaware <laughs> that that your behavior is what is toxic or or negative or contributing to a lack of productivity for yourself or or your team. So self-awareness being the 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 number one probably stop on this journey. Is there a shock and awe method other than, you know, that disc paragraph that you talked about? Is there anything you've used in coaching to snap people into self-awareness so that they're, they're primed for the aha moment? Is that, is that a fair question? Yeah, I would say it, it really goes back to that disc assessment. And 
the reason it's so powerful is actually because it's not that deep. And that was my initial objection is I'm, I'm used to this world of personality psychology. And that's really, really deep. So deep, in fact, that oftentimes there is no connection there. And it doesn't actually resonate with anybody. The DISC assessment says, I'm not really looking to quantify your personality. I'm not trying to take you to a lab and get real deep with this. I'm trying to have you tell me about yourself. Here's some words. What describes you best? It's going to go through this algorithm. It's going to spit out some, some characteristics of you. It's going to describe you. It's going to tell me your strengths, your probable limitations. Uh, it's going to go through all of that. And it's deep enough, but also surface level enough that people can make the connection. So when I start going through that report, I can just throw a bullet point straight off of the report. I don't have to do anything. I can literally read it to them and they go, oh my God, how did you know that about me? Or I can interpret that graph and go, how did you know that, that about me? You're talking about me. And I, the crazy thing, Ed, is I've been around this disc assessment thing for five years now, and I still do it. I still, I had somebody explain to me the other day that the, the C style is how you follow rules set by others. And I've always heard it talked about as far as rule following and procedures and detail orientation and systems and structure and blah, 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 blah. All the adjectives that we, you know, hear about it in this disc training world, but I'd never heard it described as it's how you follow rules set by others. And I was like, oh my God, I can coach anybody, but myself, like my biggest problem the last few years have always been, I can really come up with solutions for others. But when I try and implement them in my own life, it's like, eh, whatever. If somebody else says show up at this time, I'm there 10 minutes early every single time. I've never been late in my life. But when I tell myself to do something, it's a lot harder for me. And then that definition of, oh, this, yeah, you're really high in that behavior style, but it's how you follow rules set by others. So you probably need an accountability coach. It just blew my mind because it's so simple. Um, and even though I've been around it for so long, it's still just, it explains behaviors. And we often don't understand if we start talking about neuroanatomy and psychology and all this other stuff, nobody's going to understand that. And there's no point in being deep just for the sake of being deep. It's better to read one thing a hundred times than read a hundred things one times if you're actually going to execute on the information. And what the disc assessment does is it gives us bite-sized information that is relatable that we can then use to execute on and actually move forward and actually move the needle on the things that we're trying to do. So I got a little bit away from your question there, but the shock and awe moment is literally just read the assessment, interpret it. If you can tell somebody about themselves better than they could tell you about themselves, you've won. You're automatically the expert. You have automatically established authority in the conversation. You don't have to do anything else. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Brandon. I, I firmly believe in, in DISC as a great way to uh, initiate any type of communication, particularly a, a, a coaching interaction. It is the first thing I know I do on my side because I don't think I can be an effective coach unless I understand the behaviors of the other person that I'm, I'm trying to help modify the behavior. So I think it's a, a an incredible tool. And I, I read recently, you know, just as kind of a summary of DISC, the, the D is the what, uh, the I is the who, the S is the how, and the C is the why. So just knowing that when I'm meeting someone in a sales conversation or anyone that I'm trying to uh, establish rapport with, if I can pick up on their behavior style, I automatically know what, 
what their primary motivation is, their primary fear, and I'm in a higher influence position because of that awareness of not only who I am and what my blind spots are, but also what theirs are. And that's, that's inherently valuable in establishing connection and making a sale. Not, I'm not talking about sales from, from a bad perspective or context. It's just, if, if leadership is influence and sales is influence, the best way to influence is to understand. So how have you, how have you seen this crop up in how you look at and communicate with other people and you're, you're trying to figure them out, right? I'm curious if you have a story about that. It shifted my perspective. I used to be a very skeptical might not be the, the right word. Cynical is probably more accurate. I used to be a relatively cynical person when it came to communication in the sense that this is me, this is how it's going to be. And that's, you got to deal with it. And if you don't like it, that sounds a whole lot like your problem. If you can't interpret what I'm saying, that that sounds like a personal problem. Um, and I, I didn't quite comprehend the arrogance of a statement like that until, uh, you know, more and more recently after I matured a little bit, but there's nothing to lose and everything to gain by speaking to somebody the way they would like to be spoken to rather than the way that you naturally tend to or prefer to speak. And it just doesn't make sense to do it any other way now that I've got this new perspective, right? So somebody who is a high eye style on the disc, they might typically be categorized as forgetful or disorganized. If I'm talking to somebody like that, now I'll offer to, well, I'm a very detail-oriented person. I'll just write that down for you and text it to you real fast. I used to be like, no, just fix it. That's your responsibility, personal responsibility. You got to fix that. You should be writing it down and fix your problems and this, this, and that. It's like, that doesn't really, well, now one, they think I'm a jerk. Two, I haven't made anything better. The, the communication, the interaction has not improved one bit. And the result's going to be exactly the same. So by giving them what they need because of where they're at and who they are, I've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. So that's been the biggest perspective shift for me is just do it, right? Identify them uh, or attempt to, to the best of your ability, and then talk to them from where they are, from their perspective, uh, from who they are, taking them into, an, into account, right? Because one thing that I've really learned is that communication doesn't mean anything. Everybody talks about communication as the key to success. It's not comprehension is the key. So if you're speaking the way that you'd like to be spoken to instead of the way that they would like to be spoken to, you can communicate your butt off. But if there's no comprehension from the other side, you haven't accomplished anything whatsoever. So just that perspective has been the biggest shift for me. Yeah, I love that topic. John Maxwell wrote a book, Everyone Communicates, Few Connect. And uh, that, mm. that was really an eye-opening book for me and in understanding a lot of the dynamics at play and in, in what actually connects us as humans and behavior is, is one aspect of that. So we have worn DISC out. Look, I just encourage people, if you need a DISC assessment, call Brandon, call me, we got you covered, all right? So we are your portals into the self-awareness world. Moving on to Adamus, I'm curious, you know, uh, six months ago, uh, uh, Adamus had... You muted yourself, sorry. We'll cut this part out. <laughs> well, we'll cut and paste it. Am I back on? Did, You're the, good now. did the whole yep. question get cut out? 
Um, you were just starting to talk about Adamas. All right. So let me just start that over. So I know we've talked a lot about disbehavioral analysis. And if you need any help with that, you've got two resources right here to get you started on your own brand of self-awareness. But Brandon, your influence is also outside of ETA in your personal brand of Adamus. How has it grown over the past six months and what's the vision look like now? Man, it's funny. Um, when I was listening to you give that little intro when you talked about how you know my influence has been growing a little bit, it was almost counterintuitive for me to hear and listen to because I've dialed back on attempting to grow the influence and attempting to grow the brand and the social media almost entirely. Like anybody who follows my social media, they'll recognize that I haven't posted in forever, archived most of my stuff. Um, I really scaled back from that and focused on me and trying to identify what do I want to do? Why do I want to do it? Uh, what path is the correct one? Because I think I was highly ambitious, but a little bit all over the place for a while there. And so I really just decided to dive into me and say, look, I can't coach anybody if I'm not already at that level yet, right? You can't coach somebody who's a 10 if you're a three. And so I've been really working on that. I've been working on my personal routines more. I've been working on obviously the ETA stuff um, because that's a whole learning experience in itself. It's not just a job that's, you know, really diving into how can I do this with a spirit of excellence. And then I'll be able to take that with me for the rest of my life and learning these skills and learning this information, the knowledge, the networking, the people. So I've really been diving into those things, but as far as Adamus itself, um, I am starting a podcast and I'm, I'm really passionate about that. And that was part of that discovery journey as well. Right. Because I had a lot of business ideas and I was I was making moves on like three different companies and three different businesses, starting to build out teams, starting to figure out, you know, where we're going to go with these things. And it got to the point where I said, it's too much right now. And I want to focus on ETA because that has the power to impact a ton of people. And I want to be a part of it. And I want to learn. And I want to humble myself to not chase the dollar signs yet, but just learn and grow and get in that community and provide as much value as possible. I think you can't go wrong doing that. So I'm pushing myself to, to go all in on that. That's priority number one. Nothing happens until everything there has been done, offered, and buttoned up. Um, on my personal side, I decided that pushing this idea of having conversations like this and getting that type of knowledge, information, and wisdom as far as I can possibly get it, I'm a lot more passionate about that. And it just made more sense to me to do what I love, which is coaching. This is coaching. This is a coaching conversation. We're coaching whoever's listening to this. They, we might not know it, but it's happening. And so I'm a lot more passionate about that. And I think that once that is taken care of and I can recharge myself and fill myself up with feeling really good about what I'm doing and learning and growing, then by the time I'm really ready to go back full force into my own personal businesses, um, it'll be, I'll be much better prepared. You know, and so when I say my personal businesses, I'm really talking about like classic entrepreneurship, building stuff that I'm kind of at the top of, but directing, but not really in it. I still do coaching. I still do one-on-one -on -one coaching, still do professional development, stuff like that. Um, but that's really just an extension of what I'm doing with ETA and with podcasts. It's all the same stuff, um, just extended a little bit. 
Um, but the, the bigger stuff is still there, but it's coming down the pipeline a little bit later. Yeah, that's fascinating, man. And all I heard in, in, in what you just said was that your personal brand is growing uh, because you're growing personally. And I don't think uh, enough of us take that time to go inward to develop the brand fully from the inside out because the, the outcomes and influence that you're going to create come directly from what you've grown on the inside. So I think, I think that was a, a fabulous way to explain how Adamus has grown over the past six months. Apparently it's grown substantially in, in not only awareness, but also confidence and courage. Yeah. I mean, you can't build something that you don't, and go out and have to have the awareness, the ability, the skills, everything within you already to go out and do that. So working on you is a direct extension of working on your business. So I think that internal work, that quiet work behind the scenes is just as, if not more important than any of the stereotypical business development stuff. Sure. And, and you can't skip that step or else it's going to come back and bite you at some point, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one of E.T.'s favorite uh, quotes, or well, I should say one of my favorite quotes of E is don't let your skills take you somewhere that your character can't keep you. And that's something I've really been thinking a lot about is I don't want to get ahead of myself in terms of chasing, like we talked about earlier, chasing what you think you want, which is the the success, the money, whatever it may be. Um, but then neglecting me. Right. And I think I've seen enough at this point in my life. I've seen enough successful people to know that if you don't have you figured out, money isn't going to help you figure you out. It's going to make it worse. <laughs> the, the business, the success, the personal brand, fame, whatever it is that you're after, it's not going to, it's not going to fix anything. And it's certainly not going to make it any easier to deal with you know, that battle of becoming self-aware. So it, it's, it's much easier to work on you and then work on your business than it is to work on your business and have to backtrack and work on you because you're the heart of the business. If it's your brand, your business, the heart of it is you. And if that's sick, if that's broken, nothing else is going to work. Yeah, that's clearly a paradigm shift because I would argue most people think that one day I'll be able to go inside, but I need to get there to buy my freedom first. I, I, yeah, I think that's a strategy used quite often. Um, I'll, I'll do that later uh, once I have the freedom to do so. What would you say to that? Uh, you're lying to yourself. You're just, you're lying to yourself. It's, it's one of those excuses that people don't know it, that it's an excuse when they say it. Um, I've always said that the excuses that make the most sense and the excuses that are valid in some way, shape or form are the worst ones, because then you really start to believe them and buy into them. Um, the excuses that have a little bit of credence to them are the ones that you should fight the hardest because what you're saying is some other circumstance has control over where I'm going other than me. And you're just robbing yourself of every ounce of power that you could possibly have over your own life every single time that you say that. So it really it's not beneficial in any way, shape or form to think that way. 
um, because you're always, you're always going to be chasing something that's a little further away. You'll make your first six figures. And then you say, okay, well now I'm not going to feel good about myself until I make seven. And then I'm not going to feel good about myself until I make eight. And then I'm not going to feel good about myself until I've got this many followers on Instagram. And it's like, um, there's nothing that you need to be successful that you don't already have inside of you. That doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you don't need to, to develop yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't need to go out and get more skills. It doesn't mean that you don't need to go out and get coached or get help. But it means that the potentialities that you're looking for are already inside of you. The fulfillment, the confidence, the skill sets, those potentials are there. You just have to go expand them. You have to go fulfill them, right? Um, there's no imaginary checkered flag on the other end of some made up mountain that's uh, gonna gonna get you there any faster. So are there domains of life that you are paying more attention to now than you did say six months ago when we talked? I mean, clearly you're an athlete. Uh, the, the body and the mind are, are strong through what I'm aware of. I'm curious, what's, what's new that you're working on to make you whole? Habits and routines are a big thing that I've really been working on lately because those are things that I kind of preached about but didn't necessarily practice for the longest time. Um, because of that high C style, right? I, I was great at coaching others. And if you give me a schedule or a rule to follow, I will always overperform. Um, I'll always be, you know, be early, stay late, whatever. But when I hold myself to the same standard, I hold myself to very high standards, but those routines, the rules, the structure is difficult for me to enforce on myself. Um, but because I have high standards, then I get really mad about it when I don't. So there was always like that constant struggle. Right. And, uh, I've just really been dialing that in, especially with the world that I'm in now being relatively busy and in a, a culture that is very much focused on the grind. Like we have important work to do and it's got to get done. And so, um, just being able to have my own time at the beginning of the day, utilizing a morning routine has really helped me out. Because I can say from 4.45 or 5 a.m. to 8.30 or 9, don't call me, don't talk to me, my phone's off. That's when I go work out. That's when I meditate. That's when I do whatever. And then the rest of the day I can work and I can feel good about it because I'm not resentful that I didn't get my time. So really dialing that in has helped me a lot as far as you know being able to cope with stress, mental health, and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. And prioritizing, prioritizing yourself first. Uh, mm -hmm. The first part of the day is, is you, you're not having to fit it in later due to all the external influences. I think that's, that's a, a magical prioritization that uh, helps with awareness. Your, your personal brand, any, anything you name comes from, from setting a priority. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. That's, that's awesome self-care right there. Yeah. And you know, what's funny about that too, is that another big game changer for me was I stopped trying to force myself to do stuff that I didn't want to do because I carried this mindset for so long that if I want to be successful, if I want to do certain things, then I have to have a morning routine that's structured this way. I have to do this in the morning, I have to do this. And I would end up with a list of 28 things, half of which I didn't want to do. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense because now I'm backtracking. Now I'm doing things that I feel like I have to do uh, when the whole goal of the entire thing was to give myself my time, set me up to win the day, you know, focus on me for a little bit. 
and uh, it, it didn't work. So finally, I started saying, well, what do I enjoy doing? Or even if I don't necessarily enjoy it, what do I enjoy the results of doing enough to consistently do on a daily basis at five o'clock in the morning? And I found my set of things. And now it's it's so much easier to actually stick to that routine than when I was just trying to force it. I heard a quote the other day that I think really spoke to that. And it was something along the lines of some people do the things in life that they dislike or that they don't want to do because they feel that they have to do them and they don't enjoy life very much. And then some people do the things in life that they only want to do because they have the level of self-awareness needed for it and they enjoy life a little more. And then other people find a way to do the things that they don't want to do in a joyful way. And those are the people who really win because they've got that combination of you're enjoying what you're doing intrinsically enough to pull you along that path, but you're also getting the hard things done that need to get done to really propel you forward to where you're trying to go. And so that's the mindset that I've really been trying to take into it is create a structure that I like enough that I can really follow that I intrinsically enjoy and sprinkle in some of those activities that maybe it's not something that I love to do, but I like the benefit of it. And I'm finding a way to do it at the time of day when I'm the happiest and most energetic, which is in the morning for me personally. Um, and that mindset has really helped that whole process of establishing these habits and routines as well. Yeah, that takes a risk. I mean, I think a lot of us put, I keep generalizing us a lot, but I think it's important to note that people put so much value or, or not value, it's not value, um, so much responsibility on the process to get it right the first time. They're unwilling to accept a level of risk that they're wrong in developing a simple morning routine to help help with self-image, help with productivity, you name it. They're, I've got to get it right. I've got to get it right. So you know what? If, if the fear of failure is greater than in the potential for success with taking a risk, people stay stuck in the comfort zone. So I guess I'm curious, um, you've developed a morning routine. W would you mind sharing what that looks like and how many iterations of that you went through to get to it? Oh man, I went through, I mean, I've been trying to get this thing on lock for years, literally years. Because when I first really jumped into personal and professional development, Everybody talks about the morning routine. I honestly think it's overhyped. Um, I like it. I think it helps me. I think it helps most people who do it. But if you go look at some random guy who's got entrepreneur in their bio on Instagram and he talks about his morning routine all day long, it's it's probably putting too much stock into it. You still got to do the work and do the things that are necessary to be successful, not just wake up at a certain time. That's a different discussion. That's the, the fake online guru discussion right there. But um, but yeah, I, I got a lot of that influence and a lot of these ideas and I was like, okay, I got to do them all because I want to be really successful. And again, of course, that's, that was not necessarily the way to do it. So it took a lot of trial and error, um, following the methodology that I just described of trying to find things that I enjoy intrinsically, but then put in enough of the things that I just need to do. Um, but my basic morning routine looks like wake up around 4:45 or five. Um, I'm trying to get a lot more strict on my sleep schedule because I have noticed that I am remarkably more creative in the morning. Um, I'm a very task oriented, um, structured type of person. Um, so I'm kind of a workhorse, 
but I've never been good at creative ideas. Um, but in the morning, for whatever reason, I'm more social, I'm more energetic, I'm more creative. And so I really put, started putting a lot of energy on make sure I do whatever I need to do the day before, go to bed at the right time so that I can get up early and actually reap the benefit of that because I don't want to waste it. So first thing is waking up early. Um, it also just makes me feel better. It's a, it's a power trip in the mind. I don't know. I just like knowing that people aren't up when I'm up and I'm working and you're not. I just like that. That fuels me. Um, from there, usually the first thing I will do is try and get inspired in some way, shape or form. So obviously working with E, um, I love his content. I love his stuff. So I'll go watch whatever video he uploaded the night before. I've got a lot of other influencers uh, that I follow who are just motivational. I, I've, I've really tried to start taking care of what I'm putting into my brain just as much as what I'm putting into my body. Right? As an athlete, you're always told to be conscious of what you're eating and things like that. And we're never told to be conscious of what you're mentally eating, right? What are you intaking into your mind, into your brain? And so I've been really focusing on getting that, that kick of positive energy first thing in the morning to start, to start the day. Because again, that's not something I necessarily have intrinsically. I'm not a super motivational, energetic type of person uh, naturally. So I have to make sure that I'm bringing that in so that I can give it back out. Right. Uh, from there, hit the gym. I'll lift somewhere, try and get to the gym around 545 or so. Uh, lift for an hour, hour and a half. Um, come home, meditate, cold shower, get to work. That's, uh, that's pretty much the routine. If I have time before work at that point, I'll try and read as well. A machine. Clearly, <laughs> you have developed uh, quite a machine of productivity there with with a morning routine that's pretty solid, doable, enjoyable. I think that that is certainly worth the risk for us all to experiment with. Brandon, um, I want to be respectful of your time. I could keep going, but I'm not. Uh, we'll just have to have you back on six months from now to see the continual <laughs> change and transformation. So before we let people go, how can they keep up with what you're doing now with Eric Thomas, with Adamus, any of that? Yeah, with, uh, with E, man, just following his brand, his stuff etinspires.com. Uh, if you're involved in any of his programs, you'll probably run into me uh, in some way, shape or form at some point along the line. Uh, but couldn't, couldn't encourage that enough, man. He's, he's been a huge influence on me and my success. So I definitely recommend following him uh, for my personal stuff uh, at B Burns gym is the, the Instagram name right now. It might be changing around a little bit uh, in the future as we kind of rebrand from fitness and other stuff, but we'll see how that goes. But for now, that's where you can find me. Uh, apparel is at adamusapparel.com. And uh, I think that's all we got right now. Right <laughs> Stay now. tuned for more. But yeah, uh, I know. Clearly something's on, on the horizon. I, I, I know you too well to know otherwise. <laughs> so Brandon, thanks for coming back on the show. I know it's 40 episodes and six months later, but I, I have seen your continual transformation offline and, and it's inspiring. I love the network you're creating. I love the people that you're connecting with. And I love the um, personal brand that you continue to grow. And, and, and I'm confident one day it will wield uh, an exponential level of influence. So, man, thanks for the conversation. Thanks for your time. I know it's, it's exquisitely valuable. I really appreciate you having me back on saying all that and uh, certainly look forward to the next one. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for being on this episode of the podcast. If you had a significant takeaway, I'd love to see it in a review. So please 
stop what you're doing and write that review. I know Brandon and I would appreciate it. Until next time, everybody, peace out. Thank you.